The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome one, welcome all. It is Monday, which means it is Monday Football Monday, presented to you by the SB Nation NFL Show, the best NFL show in all the land. I am RJ Ochoa, he is Pete Sweeney, he is Michael Kist. We are MFM, and we love you, and we want to feel your love from us. Make sure you subscribe to the SB Nation NFL Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Leave a rating, write a review if you have a question for Kist, for Pete, in their wide world of expertise. They will be sure to answer it if you leave it in a review. Five stars, one star, whatever the case may be. We know the Oddcast is a one-star production, and MFM (laughs) is of the five-star variety. Boys, week 13 is just about in the books. We have three games left to go, but we have a whole crew of games to discuss. Kissed, how are you feeling on this bright and shiny Monday morning? Oh, man, it's been a pretty slow news day. Nothing really going on in Philadelphia, so I had my coffee this morning. I'm good to go. (laughs) Everything is nice and chilled. Nobody's trying to kill themselves on the Twitter timeline. Everyone uh, is in agreement on everything, and things are sunny in Philadelphia. Pedro, I don't think you have slept since the Kansas City Chiefs got another win on the season on Sunday Night Football. Did your sleep count the same way that Tyreek Hill's touchdown did not? Well, Andy Reid certainly should have challenged that one. A very odd circumstance in that game. But yeah, no, it it's a tough sleep schedule when you have Sunday night football. This is the last scheduled Sunday night for the Kansas City Chiefs. Of course, they can get flexed since they have the best player in the world, but hopefully we remain with most of these games at 12 p.m. Central, 1 p.m. Eastern, as you would. Well, I am looking forward to chatting with both of you about the National Football League and everything that we saw in week 13. We're going to talk about the Browns, the Titans, the Giants shocking the world, the Green Bay Packers continuing their run of dominance. We're going to hear from Pride of Detroit's Jeremy Rice to hear about the Lions, uh, well, getting out of the uh, Matt Patricia shadow and, you know, having success. Who would have thought about that? Before we get into all of that, I have two quick headliners for you boys. That's right. I'm surprising you right off the top. Get ready. Love it. The New York Jets. There are some takes here, boys. Did they tank? Did they not? The New York Jets blew it in the final seconds against the Las Vegas Raiders. Greg Williams, who, um, well, frankly, was offered every head coaching job in the world at one point in time, ran a cover zero blitz. Before I get your thoughts, I want to tell you this. I'm sure you saw this, but for the loyal listener, according to ESPN Stats and Info, it was the first time that a team sent six or more rushers in the final 15 seconds of regulation when leading by 48 points and being more than 40 yards from the end zone. Do you think that they ordered a code red? 
Okay, so again, the the Jets bring a cover zero blitz, and they ask Lamar Jackson, not the quarterback, the cornerback, to run <laughs> with Henry Ruggs right after Nelson Aguilar had just gotten behind two guys. So the threat was real there. For whatever reason, like call, call it a tank if you want. I don't know why Jackson is biting on a double move from Ruggs at the 30-yard line with basically no time left. So that guy is a hero in New York, in my opinion. Should never have to pay for a beer again. I, I am a fan of blitzing the Hail Mary, but like with five guys. This was uber aggressive. And as you mentioned, RJ, unprecedented especially when the previous Aguilar play had gotten behind them. But at the same time, I really think this is just who Greg Williams is. I don't think he's interested in tanking. It does him no good. He's going to be fired. And he's going to be fired because he's a bad coach that makes dumb, rash decisions like this one. I think everything looks like a tank. I think it's not a tank. I think it's just the Jets and Greg Williams. But overall, Jets fans have to be thrilled with this result. Pete, I know you were very busy covering the reigning world champion Kansas City Chiefs, but I don't know if you saw ESPN's Dan Orlovsky put out a video right. analyzing the Cleveland Browns running a similar sort of situation, also against the Denver Broncos, who the Chiefs uh, happen to be playing coincidentally. Do you buy that? Or, or do you think that this this is just this is how you get Trevor Lawrence? No, I agree with Kist. There are so many reasons for Greg Williams not to be in the NFL. There are so many. It's kind of impressive that he remains one of 32 defensive coordinators in the world. I don't think the Jets were tanking. I think Greg Williams is, and forgive me here, I'm just going to say it, I think he's a cocky idiot. <laughs> a zero blitz in that situation means you should have no job. I know what they're going for. I know that this is, we're going to go win the game. We're going to be aggressive. Man, that was just dumb. Yep. And he deserves to be fired, as he will be. And this time, nobody in the NFL give this guy a job. He shouldn't have had a job years ago, and it continues on day by day, week by week. Well, according to Greg Williams, he has multiple offers to be a head coach. So he should have no problem finding employment in the NFL if he's telling the truth. He still wants to be an assistant to the regional manager, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's what he wants to do. I agree with both of you overall. The only part where I would slightly disagree with you, Pete, is, and this is just who what you prefer. I, I mean, if if you like that, right? Like if you like going all in, then Greg Williams is your guy. You just you live and die by that. I I would not want to do that, but I mean, clearly the New York Jets and Adam Gase found it to be a, a right way of operating in one respect. I mentioned I had two headliners for you both. The next one here, uh, according to Pro Football Talk, I think this is impressive. We are almost through Week 13. The NFL has seen 37 double-digit comebacks uh, so far this season. Very impressive. Lots of dramatic football happening in the air. P PFT attributed this partly to a lack of fans in the stadium. Do you agree? Well, no, this is probably just the NFL doing their version of juicing the baseball for the home runs. I'm sure that there's some air levels in the football that maybe is allowing for some deeper passes down the field and you got to like it i mean this is more exciting right we want to see double digit comebacks in the nfl unless it's the kansas city chiefs game then you just want to see the chiefs put them quietly away but i do like it right this has been fun this year i think I, I think it does have something to do with like especially when it comes to like home field advantage when you have a lead it's third down it's fourth down the crowd is loud you can't communicate the defense can start to key in on the snap cadence as the game goes along you you are race all of that and I do think you have a bigger opportunity for teams to come back and look it's been super fun I love the atmosphere uh it, with with fans in the stadium but it's also fun to see some comebacks like this and and I'm I'm all for it wow great you guys for, surprised great for, it's great for fantasy numbers too yeah. don't forget about that <laughs> I thought 
Kiss was going to be the the like scientific, no, the fans don't have anything to do with it. And Pete was going to be like, of course. Have you ever heard of Arrowhead rocking, seen the decibel <laughs> levels on the Jumbotron? So uh, kudos to you guys for surprising me. I'm sorry. I don't know if you guys know this, but Arrowhead Stadium is the loudest stadium in the world. Yeah, thanks, Pete. Mm, we don't care. Did not uh, anyway, uh, Pete, you mentioned uh, the assistant to the regional manager, uh, Baker Mayfield, had a Dwight Schrute reference of his own after the Cleveland Browns beat the Tennessee Titans. The Browns now 9-3 and for the first time since 1994, thanks to a 41-35 win over the Tennessee Titans. I want to give the Browns their love, but I have to go first, Pete, to the Titan man himself, Michael Kist. Are the Tennessee Titans a bunch Ooh, music of Music City Mike, baby! So coming into this thing, the Browns were at a negative 21-point differential. It was the worst by any 8-plus win team in NFL history. So if you thought they were frauds coming into this one, I get it. But boy, did they silence any of those talking points that you could have made out of that. The story of this was... As I have often said on this program, because I'm so connected with the with the Nashville and, and Titans base there, is that the Titans missed defensive uh, coordinator, former defensive coordinator Dean Pease, who retired after last year. The Titans decided to go without a DC. They decided to play more man coverage, more split safeties. They're blitzing more to try and create pressure. They had a real problem getting connected to guys against play action in this one, or just in general, really. They looked really disorganized on the back end from drive one, and the Browns feasted on it. Kevin Stefanski pantsed Vrabel in this one just embarrassing for Vrabel and the Titans showed that they could be explosive right they started to come back they had a four play 74 yard uh, touchdown drive in the middle of their early route they had a three play 75 yard drive in the third quarter but this isn't what they're built for they want to be a run heavy early down team with a sprinkle of play action they aren't built to keep up when the other team has 38 first points half I would argue pretty much only the Chiefs are kind of built to do that they also aren't built on defense to win when they don't get pressure. According to ESPN Stats and Info, on only two of the first 25 first half Baker dropbacks did they get pressure. That's what gets you torched for 290 yards and four touchdowns mm. in in two quarters. And look, people are going to see this and draw some wild conclusions about Baker Mayfield, but this is so much about the Titans defense creating perfect conditions for an average quarterback to look elite. Zero pressure, covered on scheme, burnt toast stuff from the Titans. They got it together a bit in the second half, kind of, but it wasn't near enough and they were already working from such a deficit. If the question is, am I worried about the Titans? Yes, I'm concerned because we thought the issues that I talked about over a month ago were mostly solved. But this issue against play action specifically, where they still rank as one of the worst defenses in the league, is still lingering. And overall, they just look like a mess on the back end. On the flip side, does this tell me anything about Baker? Man, not really. Like, I think he's good enough to look great in perfect conditions and bad enough to look terrible in disadvantageous situations. We've seen it all season. In the end, it all equalizes out to an average quarterback. But credit to him and especially credit to Kevin Stefanski in this one, who is really like I saw a headline saying that he was like the coaching exorcist to really turning around the fortunes of that Browns uh, franchise. And they have to be excited about him. Pete, you were on the SB Nation Instagram story on Sunday looking quite handsome. Um, Thank you. I feel like when a guy looks handsome you got to tell him and you look good man thank you very much thank you very much now you uh you called uh, a few games in, in a number of directions mm. and uh <laughs> well to be quite frank you look 
Kind of silly. Right. You took the Tennessee Titans in this game. Did the Cleveland Browns impress you? They did, but I did feel similarly to Kiss. I remember when we were comparing games earlier in the season to breakfast food, and Kiss just mentioned burnt toast. That was the theme of this game. We go from the office before to a little bit of Stranger Things, because I think this game was living in the upside down a little bit. A lot of people thought Cleveland could win this game, but it would be with their ground game. But it was mm-hmm. more so through the air. Browns beating them with Baker. And then on the other side of it, Derrick Henry was stifled and he had his first fumble in 375 times touching the football. That just doesn't happen. So a little bit of the upside down in this game. And the Browns had this schemed up. It really looked like in the first half, this was practice for Baker Mayfield and he could just pitch and catch with guys wide open. And that's why I agree with Kiston saying, maybe it doesn't tell us a ton about Baker. I know that Browns fans won't like to hear that, but I just need to continue to see it with this team. You still have to be accurate on those passes, and he was. Four touchdowns in the first half. The first time for the Browns since Otto Graham in 1951. Wow. That's a stat you ought to know. And the Browns come away (laughs) with the 41-35 to win. But, right, there's a but. They were up 38-7 to in this game. Understanding this is perpetually unfair to Cleveland. If these two teams meet in the playoffs, how do we think this matchup goes? Cleveland hasn't made the playoffs in 18 years, and that means their non-playoff streak could buy a pack of cigs and rip a few heaters until the sun comes up. This season's already a success for Cleveland. Now, don't let that be your downfall. Don't get satisfied by that. There's two notes I want to mention. Future free agent receiver, probable Kansas City Chief Corey Davis went off in this game for 11 receptions and 182 yards and a touchdown, 801 on the year. He'll get close to 1,000. Miles Garrett returns after a tomb game absence and got a sack of Tannehill, 10 and a half on the year, only .5, a half a sack behind Aaron Donald. So the Browns welcome back uh, Miles Garrett and man, nine wins. It's, it's incredible. They've kind of quietly been under the radar with a really good season in Cleveland. My final point to you both, the Cleveland Browns, as you mentioned, Pete, already have nine wins. Their final four games of the season in week 14, they host the Baltimore Ravens on Monday night football. So you get a little bit of extra time with the Ravens playing on Tuesday night tomorrow. After that, they are at the Meadowlands, former Meadowlands, whatever you want to call it, in back-to-back weeks as they visit the Giants and then the Jets. And then they host the Pittsburgh Steelers in week 17. The Steelers, sorry, Pete, very well likely might have locked up the number one seed in the AFC at that point. It's it's possible. I mean, or it's necessary. It's a, that's a that's a fascinating game. T W F T. I think we all think that the Browns will win both of their games in the proverbial Big Apple. I think it's fair to say they maybe split this Ravens Steelers duo that they have left. I don't know if you guys agree. Uh, my my question is, I'll start with you. Kiss twelve wins happening or not for the Browns? I'm gonna say no. I'm going to go with no. Pete. Hard to believe that they would get to 12. I, I don't I don't see 12. I think this is a playoff team, but 12 and 4 for the Browns. I'm not I'm not going to agree to that. No. I mean, you got to be thrilled wow. with if you get to 10 or 11, you got to be thrilled if you're a Browns fan to be honest. And like Pete said, don't let that be your Super Bowl, right? You know, sure. come into the playoffs, make yourself make yourself some noise. That's encouraging to see, but I I can't see them getting this well. All right, that's fine. You guys don't believe in the Browns. That's okay. Uh, Well, I mentioned the Giants. Speaking of the G-Men, start spreading the news. Pete, I know you're a New York guy. You had to be happy. The Giants went all the way across the country. No Daniel Jones. Colt McCoy went to the worst school in the state of Texas. As I say, as a fighting Texas Aggie myself, please put us in the playoff committee. Anyway, uh, 17-12, the final score for the Giants is they got the win that 
nobody saw coming. It was Colt McCoy's first win as a starter since 2014 when he ironically beat the Dallas Cowboys as a member of the Washington football team. Pete, the Giants, 5-7, first place in the NFC East, baby. Let's go. I got a lot of takes on this game. So first of all, this game to me had a very specific play that I think portrayed exactly where the Seahawks are in this season. The Giants were up 8-5. I know that's a baseball score, but I'm talking about the New York Giants in the third quarter. Pete Carroll and the Seahawks go for it on fourth and one at midfield. It's play action, and Russ, he tries to cook. The only problem is he has an unwanted sous chef in the kitchen in Carter Coughlin. Russ did the thing where he runs back and around and tries to extend the play that we've seen so many times, but Coughlin bothered him so much. Incomplete on the attempt to Chris Carson. Giants go up 14-5, five plays later, and that was pretty much ball game. Alfred Morris had that touchdown too, if you remember him. Uh, he is still in the league, believe it or not. Obvious elephant in the room. Russ Wilson looks different than he did at the beginning of this year. Just doesn't look like the same quarterback. He's taking unnecessary sacks, five against the Giants. He's indecisive. The whole offense looks bad because of it. He literally worked his way from running away with the MVP over Patrick Mahomes <laughs> to not even in consideration. Oh. Leonard Williams had a great impact on this game. Two and a half sacks, including a key sack on the final possession on third down. He also totaled five quarterback hits. Williams has a great little story. After four seasons with the Jets, he was a very first round pick, a sixth overall pick. He was traded to the Giants in 19 and has now quietly put together the best year of his career with eight and a half sacks. As the Jets are winless, and you might have guessed this, but he is an unrestricted free agent in 2021. And now, final thing on this game. This should be completely about the Seahawks. But the Giants have a storyline here, too, as at five and seven, they're first in the East. For any other franchise, you'd be like, oh, you know, whatever. But this is the Miami Marlins of the NFL. Their last two records when they won the Super Bowl are nine and seven and ten and six. And it's hard to ignore that with these Giants. You never know. They get in the playoffs. It's not a team that you want to see, especially when they're rolling at the end of the season. So see what happens here. I mean, I. I am worried about the Seattle Seahawks. You know, I kind of mocked the Giants for throwing a parade after beating the Brandon Allen-led Bengals, but like, I got to admit, this was impressive. This is more of what you want to see if you're anti-tank, because while the Seahawks certainly are slipping a bit, they're still a quality team with a talented quarterback and an offense that you have to stop with some serious weapons. So I personally, for my, my own, you know, greed i want dave gettleman to get extended off of this i think that would ultimately be a net negative for the giants but look it's it's good for their head coach joe judge to show this kind of fight so that that's a positive for them and and to do it when you have colt mccoy only throwing for 105 yards it's even more impressive running game was great for the giants do running backs matter probably less than most people think wayne gallman snapped for 135 yards pete mentioned it alfred morris was productive but the defense grabbing two turnovers Sacking Russell Wilson five times, holding the Seahawks to 30% on third down. Giants defensive coordinator Patrick Graham had this unit really well coached up for this one. They had some fun looks with guys standing up around the line, simulating pressure, dropping certain guys, rushing others, playing more split field coverage, which Russ tends to to struggle against. And then their discipline at the second level with their linebackers. Go back and watch them on these play actions. They are getting deep. They're sinking into passing lanes. They're not taking the cheese and they're getting connected with guys, Mm. which really flustered Wilson dropping into those windows. They got a key interception laid off a Chris Carson drop. Shout out to senior bowl guy Darnay Holmes on his first career interception. I'll tell you what though, the the once Julian Love dropped a sure interception with a minute left, I thought Seattle was winning this thing because that's how these things go. 
But Leonard Williams, Pete mentioned, balled out, had a key sack there. The tables turn once again with the Seahawks and the Rams in the NFC West. They likely play for the division in Week 16. The Rams, by the way, have won five of their last six encounters with the Seahawks. So the Seahawks have serious issues and are in serious trouble here. I think a lot of what you said is interesting, Kist. Um, I think namely, uh, you mentioned that the NFC West is coming down to the Seahawks and the Rams. I don't think either Peter or I disagree with that assertion. Obviously, the Arizona Cardinals, after that big Sunday night win over Seattle, I think a lot of people put them in the driver's seat. Seattle, excuse me, Arizona losing on Sunday to Los Angeles. Arizona is who the Giants have next. Now, I said in a number of places that I thought the only win that the NFC East would get from weeks 13 through 15, that's 12 total games, would be the Cowboys at the Bengals next Sunday, which is this coming Sunday. And who knows if Brandon Allen's going to play in that game. He was knocked out of the loss against Miami yesterday. But I don't know that I count the Giants out of this Cardinals game, and I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. I agree with you. They are this rough and tough Joe Judge, you know, blah, 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 want to win, do it our way type of squad. This this was really impressive. I think that they also happened to have caught the Seahawks in a fraudulent sort of window. The Seahawks are, it, it feels like every year the Seahawks have a loss like this, one that is just unbelievable, inexcusable. Um, it's, it's the one kind of demerit on Pete Carroll's overall career is that sometimes he falls flat in these types of moments. And I think we all believe in Russell Wilson, but I don't know that we believe in the rest of the Seahawks team. I think they might be a one and done team when the playoffs ultimately come, especially because they're not going to get that one singular buy. Uh, speaking of, though, that buy could eventually belong to the Green Bay Packers. Uh, the Packers now impressively 9-3, and three, beating the Philadelphia Eagles 30-16. to 16. Aaron Rodgers' boys uh, reached two notable milestones in this game. He became uh, the first quarterback to throw at least 35 touchdowns in five different seasons, breaking a tie that he had with many Hall of Famers. I'm sure Pete, that Patrick Mahomes will one day reach this milestone. Aaron Rodgers yeah, also reached 400 career touchdowns. Devontae Adams caught that 400th one, uh, went and gave the ball to him. Devontae Adams is a cheat code of sorts. Pete, I want to get your thoughts on Mr. Rodgers and his neighborhood. But before the big storyline coming out of this game, even though the Packers won, was of course that Carson Wentz was finally seemingly effectively benched by head coach Doug Peterson. Michael Kist, I know that your week at Bleeding Green Nation is going to be lots of fun in response to the Jalen Hurts promotion. <laughs> what are your overall thoughts uh, on what happened? On, on did, it, did it take too long? Were you happy to see it? Were you pleased with what you saw? Jalen Hurts made it a bit of a game, and so I think people are going to look at that on the surface, but uh, you are more of a, of a studious type of person when it comes to these things, so I know that you were not all too impressed. Yeah, so I mean, you look at it, and I, I called for this benching a couple of weeks ago, I believe, on here, so I do think it was a little bit too late. However, once he came in, you could tell that the vibe kind of changed. He immediately comes in, throws the bomb to Jalen Rager, which connects. And then they have the big run from Boston Scott. I thought the holding call was terrible, and it just kind of killed the whole momentum there. But, like, there was a spark there, and you have to ask the question, you know, why do the Eagles suddenly come alive whenever Carson Wentz is on the bench? This has happened over and over again. And in reports coming out of Philadelphia is that Carson Wentz is a broken quarterback right now, both physically and mentally. Not physically because he's hurt, but just because his mechanics are a mess, but mentally as well, because people are saying, and the reports out there are saying that the pick of Jalen Hurts really shot his confidence. And like, I get it. He's been through a super That's weird. fair. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fair. But at the same time, look at, look across the field to Aaron Rodgers. They picked a quarterback mm. in the first round. What'd you see right. Aaron Rodgers do this year? Come out scorched earth, have one of his better years in a long time. If you are not mentally strong enough 
to handle that, then I have serious questions about your ability to be a franchise quarterback. I think that's totally fair. Now, Hertz comes in, and I thought he was fine. And again, and I told you this before we started recording. If you're judging Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts with the same bar, it's unrealistic you're doing it wrong. Jalen Hurts is a rookie in his first game. Carson Wentz is a five-year vet under a big contract. You cannot view them in the same context. Jalen Hurts was okay. I mean, he ate against some soft defenses, and then he struggled a bit when things tightened up and the game got a little bit closer, right? Throws the pick where his hand was kind of hit in, in, the, in the throw and everything like that. He was fine. He was also calm and controlled in the pocket, which Wentz has not been. Obviously, that mounting pressure with Wentz has affected him. He's always had scattershot pocket management. Jalen Hurts looked like the more calm option. They need to know what they have in Jalen Hurts. They need to know what they have at the quarterback position. They need to know if, if Jalen Hurts comes out in the next couple of weeks and they have not named a starter yet. I hope that's a rip the Band-Aid off in private, hold the cards close to your chest in public type of deal. I get that. But Jalen Hurts should start next week and probably for the rest of the season unless he really, really struggles. They need to know. And this is a good uh, a good gauge of if Jalen Hurts plays or gives you just as much as Carson Wentz, then obviously Carson Wentz is the problem. Because again, this is a rookie versus a five-year vet that has been in this system for a long time. And I don't think the system necessarily caters to Jalen Hurts' strength. So I don't expect a whole lot from, Jason, from Jalen Hurts, but I do think you find out a lot by playing him. And I do want to see him. And I do think think it's exciting. And, and they need to they need to figure it out. Pete, I have two questions for you. Uh, number yes. one, if you were both past and future Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator Doug Peterson, um, who would you start at quarterback? Thank you for the question. appreciate that, of course. <laughs> Let me just tell you something. Jalen Hurts deserves this moment. After getting benched for Tua in oh! the national title game, now he is the one people in Philadelphia are clamoring for. He deserves that. Had the benching been at halftime of this game, which would have been true poetic justice, Perhaps the Eagles win yesterday. We don't know. That history will never happen. Hold on to this lesson, dearly, kids that are out there listening. It's never too late to win the breakup. Now, Doug Peterson, to your question. Don't be silly here. Never in NFL history has somebody not started the come up of the week oh. the next week. Uh. Don't be on the wrong side of history here. Jalen Hurts does deserve to be the starter because you know, Carson Wentz, he comes in, right? And it's the hospital room. Unfortunately, your older relatives in there. <laughs> Jalen Hurts gets in there. Wow. Oop. Oop. <laughs> Oop. He gives the Eagles life. And you need to see what you have there as you figure out what to do this offseason. This isn't a playoff team. The NFC East is going to either the Giants or my beloved WFT. So we'll see what happens here. Okay, Pete, I have a second question for you. I do want to say, I do think that Jalen Hurts, Kist, forgive me for the hyperbole here, presents the biggest wild card throughout the entire NFC playoff picture. Let's assume that he is the Eagles starting quarterback from now through the rest of the season. As you well know, the final four games for the Eagles, they've got the Saints, they are at Arizona, they are at Dallas, and then they have Washington at home. If Jalen Hurts throws any of these games amok, I mean, you know, you're talking about influencing. These are teams that are on the brink. Obviously, Washington is a division contender. We'll see what happens with the Giants, but I digress. Pete, my second question for you, uh, you might have thought it would have had to do with Aaron Rodgers. Wrong. Is Devontae Adams, oh. all Kansas City Chiefs biased aside, the best wide receiver in the NFL? Ooh. Well, he wouldn't be if... Tyree Kill would have actually had that touchdown credit to him last night. Uh, <laughs> it was a touchdown on the replay. Weird Only situation you could in Kansas City. Answer this about Tyree Kill. Okay, go yeah. ahead. Devontae. I mean, hard to argue with with Rodgers and and Adams, and then because you you do I think automatically think about uh, Murray and Hopkins, and then Mahomes and Hill. 
to me, it's we're 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 always so obsessed. I think watching the NFL of picking the top guy. This is like, do you want a bologna sandwich or a ham sandwich or a turkey sandwich? They're all good. They're all going to hit the spot. I'm I'm not. I'm going to choose to answer your first question. I'm going to re- refuse this second question. I'm not going to say that Devontae Adams is the top receiver because maybe there are three. Okay. Well, that's fine. Uh, Kist is Devontae Adams the best wide receiver that Aaron Rodgers has ever had? Yes, and I think he's the most complete wide receiver in the NFL. Uh, I think Pete's right as far as the different flavors. Hill is is the most dangerous deep threat. DK is the biggest freak, just monster that the NFL has right now. And Devontae is the most complete wide receiver. I think uh, all three flavors. And I think he is the best receiver that uh, Aaron Rodgers has had. Quick apology to uh, Jordy Nelson. Uh, sorry, Jordy. I know you're listening. <laughs> I saw um, the Pupcast. Kyle Posey, your co-host, kissed. Um, to be honest, you know, not as great as these co-hosts. Kyle, love you. Um, he tweeted on during Sunday Night Football that Tyreek Hill is just different. He makes 4-4 guys look slow. I yeah. do agree. It, it does kind of depend on, on what you prefer. They're all obviously very awesome. Uh, Pete, you have your hand raised for the uh, the non-video watching crowd, which is literally everybody. Little, little breaking news here. The Jets have fired defensive coordinator. Greg Williams <laughs> as we're on the podcast and as I called for it before so going back to my earlier point on this beautiful podcast he doesn't deserve to have one of 32 jobs in the world as defensive coordinator and now he no longer does thank you Tom Pelissero Adam Gay still has a job would you believe it now before we get to our very special guest Jeremy Reisman after a very special honor here on Monday Football Monday I do think Pete you obviously already offered up your thoughts so nobody cares about any other ensuing ones if, if we put on our tinfoil hats kiss do you think it's possible just I mean in the in the realm of possibility that this is all part of the the charade that you have to put on if you are tanking right so so that now you don't look like you're tanking now you look like oh oh he ran cover zero we got to fire him we got to move on no no, I just think Adam Gase and Greg Williams are incompetent, man. Like, that's it. Like, and if you're really tanking, you're not in that game to begin with, right? I mean, this is a Raiders a quality team. It's pretty easy to make it look like you're tanking when you're the Jets. Nobody would notice if they got blown out 40 to nothing. So the fact that they were in this game tells me and, and put it on Carr's shoulder to make a, a throw like that. When he missed one of them, I, I just I just think they're incompetent, man. I agree with you. Well, Greg Williams, you reportedly had a lot of job offers, so um, call up one of those people. We <laughs> are going to call up uh, the break room. We'll be right back after a quick break from a word from our sponsors. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. 
Welcome back. The time has come. Some people talk about come ups of the week. Some people talk about the green jacket mm. of the week. A lot of people are talking about it, but everybody is talking about the yeet of the week. Y E E T. Michael Kiss. Who does it belong to in week 13? So we are going to talk about some Lions here in a second. We are going to talk about the future of Matt Stafford and how they've looked without Potato Brain, Matt Patricia. But I got to I gotta <laughs> quickly shout out Matt Stafford for the Yeet of the Week. I also think it should be the come up of the week because the 49-yard touchdown, right? It's second quarter. There's 230 left, gentle listener, if you want to go watch it. First and 10. And Quintus Cephas, who is getting playing time because they cut Marvin Hall. The assumption was he would get more playing time. He would get a chance. Guy ran a burning 47340 if I, if if I'm not mistaken uh during his pre-draft process, but he burns Fuller on this one. Kyle Fuller, darn good cornerback, and Stafford just puts a beauty on him for the touchdown. Keeps them in the game and eventually the Lions would win this one, but that is my yeet of the week. I think I think Stafford had a great game. Quality quarterback. I'm fascinated about his future in Detroit. Well, you didn't mention it, Kissed. You know, I'll look past that. I will. I'll just piggyback. That's the Green Jacket of the week. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I know you. You only mentioned come up, and that's fine. But we'll double up uh, the award right there. Uh, let's get to our special guest, Jamie Reisman from Pride of Detroit, joins Michael Kissed right now to talk about the Lions getting the dub over the Bears. Jeremy, welcome into the SB Nation NFL show. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Mike. Absolutely, man. So let's talk about this Lions team. Now that they have fired Matt Patricia, who I've often said on this show has a potato for a brain. <laughs> Thankfully, they're rid of him. They install offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel as the interim head coach. They come out and score 34 points, super aggressive through the air in this game in a win over the Bears. What's the feel? What's the vibe of this Lions team in the immediate wake of Patricia's departure in this win against the Bears? Well, I think simply put, it's just it's more fun now. Uh, I, I don't think there's necessarily any big, you know, long term changes coming to the team or anything like that, but they're more fun. Matthew Stafford is more fun again. He, he was throwing the ball 15 yards down the field. I think through that far deep 16 or 17 times against the Bears, where it was like, I think one or two usually before then. And so average intended air yards went from like eight and a half through the first couple months of the season to I think he was at 11 and a half yesterday so just more fun to watch I mean and you're playing obviously to Matthew Stafford's strength the fact that they hung 34 on the Bears without Kenny Galladay without DeAndre Swift is is a big win and you know all the tenants of of a Matt Patricia team are stopping the run running the ball and that's how you win the Lions didn't stop the run they didn't they didn't establish the run on offense and they still won the game and so you're just like yeah where, thank God that potato brain is gone. You're, you got it exactly right. All right. Yeah. I mean, thank thank God for that. And look, you just wrote for Pride of uh, Detroit. I saw at uh, SB Nation NFL, the Twitter account shared this. Uh, the headline that you wrote is, don't take these last four Matthew Stafford games for granted. Uh, and then in the subtitle there, Stafford's future is unclear, but he's still extremely fun to watch in the present. And I agree with you. And asking about Stafford here, the potential outs for his contract kind of start this offseason, even though there's a hefty charge. Now, I'm Stafford guy, so I'm not advocating for this. In fact, I'll, I'll ask you to put a percentage on it. What's the likelihood that Stafford is the quarterback with the Lions under a new regime next year? I still think it's fairly high. I mean, you mentioned I think it's like a 19 million cap hit the Lions will take if they decide to move on from him. And I think that's a lot for a new general manager and a new head coach to take on. So it's probably not a move they'll necessarily make. But at the same time, I mean, if he continues to play the way he just did, his trade value might not ever be higher. So again, it's kind of a it's a push pull for for the new GM there. But at the same time, I mean, even if the Lions are in a position 
to draft a quarterback next year, I think it's probably wise to to do the Green Bay route and just have him sit a year behind Stafford. So if I had to put a percentage on it, 65, 70%. But to me, that that as you know, also a big Stafford fan, putting a 30% chance on him not being the starting quarterback next year is extremely frightening. As a Lions fan, it took years and years and years and years to find a guy of Matthew Stafford's caliber. And, you know, he might not be top tier elite guy, but he's he's the best the franchise has ever seen. And he, like I said, he's a heck of a lot of fun to watch. So what's on the other side might not be as good, probably won't be as good, um, given the, the recent records of, of some of these young quarterbacks in the league. So even a, a 30% chance of, uh, of of losing him is is terrifying. That's frightening. Matthew Stafford's don't grow on trees. And yeah. yeah. As we've seen, if you're a QB hungry team, you don't have much of a chance and you can wander through that desert for a long time. Absolutely. Let's flip sides to the defensive side of the ball. Out of my own morbid curiosity here, uh, the Lions defensive coordinator, Corey Unlin, was a guy mm-hmm. that I covered in Philadelphia. Uh, yeah. He seems to be well respected in NFL circles. We could not figure out why uh, in Philadelphia <laughs> because his legacy there was like a guy who didn't develop a single solitary player. We always wondered, was it Schwartz? Was it Underland? What was happening? Well, it's continuing in Philadelphia, so obviously Schwartz has a role in that. But somehow, he was essentially promoted to the Lions. What's the general consensus on Undland? Do you think he's back next year in the same role? I, I don't. Um, defense has not been any better. I mean, you want to talk about not developing talent. Jeff Okuda has struggled all season. You know, a guy who people were saying was a can't-miss pick, one of the best corners coming into the draft in decades, and uh, and he's really struggled in his his, his rookie season obviously injured right now I mean also you have to trace back Corey Unlin's roots and he was a Patricia guy they they worked together and so yeah. um I, I think with Patricia gone Unlin's gone I mean there's, there's really been nothing positive about the defense even in this game against the Bears I mean the Bears hung 30 on them we can't forget that 23 I think of which came in the first half so Mitchell Trubisky loves playing against the Lions and and Corey Unlin hasn't done much to change that and so he's got to be gone after this year you need to have a defense that I can the very least not make Mitchell Trubisky look like a starting quarterback because he yes. is in fact not a starting quarterback <laughs> I think that's a good bar to set let's play a little would you rather would you rather win out and make the playoffs or would you rather lose out and secure a high draft pick <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a tough one. It's one I feel Lions fans face pretty much at every point uh, when we when we turn the calendar over to to December. Um, But to me, I'm I'm a live in the moment guy. I'm a I mean, Lions fans take you got got to take pleasure in playoff appearances, even if they're getting smoked in the first round. I'll take that honestly. And you also have to realize if the Lions win out, that means they're beating the Packers the Titans, the Buccaneers, and the Vikings, four teams that are already in a playoff position right now. And so if they win those games, maybe they actually belong in the playoff game. (laughs) And maybe they can sneak a a win there. And so maybe that increases the chance of Daryl Bevel sticking around. And I know that's not going to make a lot of Lions fans too happy. And I love maybe, (laughs) you know, I, I, I certainly love what he did on Sunday. So if he continues what he's doing and wins four games, then maybe he deserves a shot at the head coaching job, and maybe the Lions deserve to be in the playoffs, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah, you need a lot of things to go right to win those games, and those things going right means more than just some slots and a draft pick, in my opinion, in the Lions situation. Obviously, each team is is different. Every team is unique, snowflake, all that stuff. Right. Who are you eyeing as if it's not Bevel, if they don't promote him and he doesn't earn it or whatever the case may be? And I say I love him. I say I love him because he's so aggressive, and it's super fun to me for, for me to watch on film. Uh, yeah. But but if he's not, they don't think he's qualified. If you had to pick a Lions coach today, who are you poaching? It it's probably Robert Sala. I mean, part of me is just like I don't I don't really want to go another defensive guy. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it it just kind of feels like the stars are aligning already there. 
Um, he's one of the few great coaching candidates that would actually have motivation to to go to Detroit, you know, given his home ground roots here, just two miles outside of uh, of the Lions practice facility. Mm. He's obviously done a fantastic job over there in, in San Francisco. First couple of years were rough. He gets a, an influx of talent last year, and then all that talent goes away to injury this year, and they're still a top 10 unit. So um, a, a really spirited guy, a guy that people love. If If Richard Sherman is vouching for this guy, I'm listening. Uh, period and maybe that maybe he brings along Richard Sherman and then as for the offense maybe you keep Daryl Bell around he's actually had a history with with Robert Sala back in Seattle um, if not I mean I'll take Mike LaFleur the passing game coordinator over there from San Francisco anyone from that Shanahan tree yeah I'm game I'm game so even maybe you get a, a young up-and-comer there on the offensive side of the ball too so I think it's it makes a lot of sense um, there's those homegrown roots and and maybe he can fix a really really broken defense thanks to Matt Patricia not often do you hear somebody advocate for a defensive hire on that but I mean you, you make a really good case so Jeremy uh, we look forward to to watching the Lions and their process and how things shake out for them it's going to be uh, super fascinating to watch from the outside go ahead and uh, let listeners know where they can follow all your work with the Lions your podcast man plug away where they can find you on social media man hit it pride detroit um pretty much everywhere on socials um we have the pod cast which you won't be able to find by searching pod cast because that just spells podcast and we're stupid that we <laughs> came up with that title so search pride of detroit on all your uh your podcast platforms we're also on twitch which is a really fun platform we do our live yes. podcast on there um we're live on youtube as well so just search pride of detroit on youtube and uh that should do it appreciate you jeremy reisman for taking the time to join us michael kiss you did a fantastic job pete you. you've done a fantastic job all along i mean you know well, it is what it is thank you we have reached the quick hits portion of the production gentlemen and pete i will start with you yes. what do you got bring sure. the takes gotta talk a little chiefs right this is monday football <laughs> monday already Really spoke about one of the oddest moments I've ever seen covering football with Tyreek Hill last night. Andy Reid just thought he hadn't caught the football and there was no chance of that because he ran off the field. Really strange. They didn't challenge a touchdown, which would have been a touchdown. Amazing. The NFL season for contenders, in my mind, the Super Bowl contenders each week, is inching closer to having a perfect game of football. The problem for Kansas City, at least right now, is the offense in the red zone, 0 for 7 the last two games. So I take the situation here, and I see that the defense is coming along, and the offense in the short game is the one who has to figure it out. So you're telling me the problem with the Chiefs right now belongs to Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Eric Bieniemy to figure out in the last four weeks. I think that's a big problem for the rest of the NFL because this is a team that will figure it out. And with Tyron Matthew coming on like he did last year, now three picks in two games, Hard to believe anyone but the Chiefs is going to win the Super Bowl. And that leads me to Justin Herbert. Unless you're Patrick Mahomes, everybody has their welcome to the league moment. And I think that happened for Herbert on Sunday against good old Uncle Bill Belichick. Three sacks, 11 quarterback hits, two interceptions. And don't look now, but the New England Patriots are a very quiet 6-6. Six and six. Do you want to play them if they make the AFC playoffs? And then finally, today's the day every movie needs a crescendo, right? And the movie I'm talking about is Alex, starring Bradley Cooper, a quarterback who has the worst injury that anyone right, Pete, has ever seen. We've heard seen. this before. Fights we get him, it. You know, there's got to be a movie about back. Alex Smith. We've heard it Fights all. His way You're back. a Washington and fan. We got it. 5 p.m. today, knocking off the 11-0 Pittsburgh Steelers WFT. Oh, wow. Anyway, Pete, you <laughs> trashed Justin Herbert. Not at all saying he played well, uh, but kissed. 
I, it's so difficult to say somebody should be fired, but the Chargers are a disaster, like an unmitigated disaster. They had the improper number of people on three of five punt plays against the Patriots. And twice the uh, twice they only had 10 players, and once they had 12, and the time that they had 12 players. They, they all, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, Pete, I agree with you. Justin Herbert did not play well, but, I mean, he is fighting the current in a lot of ways here. <laughs> I, it should be against the law actually, for the Chargers to get housed wearing those beautiful uniforms, Uh. but somehow they did. Is that the best job? Stats and I talked about this on the look ahead last week. Is that the best job, if it does come available, of all foreseeable head coaching gigs in 2021? Houston, I think, has got to be up there. Deshaun Watson, and I said this on Twitter, and I put zero thought into it, but I'm dug in now, so I'm going (laughs) to say it again. Deshaun Watson is having the best season for the worst team in the history of sports. This is a top three quarterback, and he throws his first interception yes. since October. It's because Brandon Cook came down, landed on his head, and was concussed, and a completion turns into an interception. And then they get into the deep red zone to possibly win the game, and the center says, well, screw you, bud. I'm going to snap this low into the left and mess all of this up. Uh, Deshaun Watson coming in there, overhauling that roster should be very attractive. I also like the Jaguars job, but they don't have a proven quarterback. You have to go get one that you like and hope it works out. Justin Herbert, though, absolutely, I think so. You're going to have a a tough time erasing the losing culture there, which I think is much more losing-er, charging-er than the Texans atmosphere who have been to the playoffs recently. Interesting. I know that everyone is talking about how Bill O'Brien sent the picks. I mean, it is so hard to get the quarterback right. I mean, teams, it takes decades. Yeah. And you have Deshaun Watson, who is at least, you know, you mentioned top three, at least top five. That's the job you want. You can figure out the rest. Unless you have a quarterback, you got nothing in the NFL. I have two very quick takeaways for you both. Actually, the first one's actually a question. What What is the conversation around the Saints for the next few months? Um, they are 8-0 in, in the last two seasons in games played without Drew Brees. They are currently the number one seed in the NFC. I just, this is this is a weirdly fascinating, but also weirdly boring storyline. Kissed, I mean, like, what what happens there? Like, that's got to, it, it's great to be, you know, playing that well as an overall team, but it's got to be annoying because, you know, and I think as an Eagles fan, you get this, like, you want the Super Bowl the right way. You know what I mean? Like, it, it would feel weird if Taysom Hill won the Super Bowl for the Saints. It would still be cool, but it it would just, I don't know. It's a weird situation. Sean Payton's brilliance. I do think they have some decisions to make at quarterback. Like, it doesn't impress me that the Atlanta Falcons made Taysom Hill look like a real boy. That doesn't really impress me all that much. I got to see him against stiffer defenses, having to do, having to do more with more on his plate. But yeah, I mean, it is weird. But again, you said it. Eight, no, with backup quarterbacks, Teddy Bridgewater, Taysom Hill. This is Sean Payton. This is this is what he does. So if he's able to get a serviceable quarter, a quarterback on the market, if they decide to move on from Taysom Hill or not make him the starter, they're going to be a winning team. They have one of the most talented rosters in the NFL. We're seeing it now. This is These are team wins for the Saints. These are not quarterback wins. They're about a billion dollars over the salary cap, though, right now for 2021. They're going to have to make some really intriguing moves to keep a lot of those guys. I wonder what happens after the Super Bowl. This is a team that used credit cards to pay for credit card bills. That's how bad they are for the cap situation yep. in 2021. I mean, you saw the Chiefs navigate it, but they, they pre-planned. 
this is we're going to figure it out later. I think the Saints need to win the Super Bowl this year because of that cap situation. That's a great point. I mean, their cap situation is about as bad as the Eagles and the Eagles are drowning in future contracts and future money. So my final quick hit for you both. Uh, I've been caping for the Minnesota Vikings lately on Monday Football Monday, much to the chagrin of one Michael Kist. I will say this now. The Minnesota Vikings are making the playoffs. They are six and six. Their final four games at Tampa Bay, Chicago, at New Orleans, that is a uh, Christmas Day game, by the way. I believe that's a Friday. Uh, and then at Detroit to end the season. So we're giving them Chicago and Detroit easily. So they're getting to eight wins. I I think that they're they're going to be the seventh seed in the NFC. The Minnesota Vikings are making the playoffs. I like the take. <laughs> I mean, I, okay. I, you're, you're, you're not necessarily wrong. The Vikings are extremely frustrating. You were hating a few weeks ago. Believe in Kirk. From from a game to game, from a play to play, they just they're they're so hard to figure out, including Kirk Cousins. He can look great on one play, then throw a pick six on the other. I think overall he's having a pretty solid season, but the Vikings are just frustrating. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up making the playoffs. I think they're There's too many they're a solid team that are just totally perplexing to me. There's too many good teams in the NFC. Uh they, you know, at the bottom of it as well. They're not making the playoffs. Kirk Cousins is a fraud. So I've Kissed. got a couple go off. Yeah, I got a couple quick hits here. Darren Waller. Holy crap, 13 catches, 200 yards, two touchdowns? That's a video game performance from mm. a tight end. What an Chad athletic freak. I, I, I don't know how he's viewed by national media, but Waller is, is definitely belongs in the top five tight end discussion. The man's an absolute animal. Uh, Dolphins have an 18-game turnover streak on defense. They're the only team with a turnover in every game of the 2020 season. Uh, I, I thought that ejection, by the way, speaking of turnovers. So Xavier and Howard had one of the better picks you're going to see this season. Vertical switch release, snaps his head around to make a play on the ball. He would also get ejected in this game for getting to a scrap with Tyler Boyd, who was also ejected. That ejection was so soft for both sides. Just a little bit of pushing. The refs need to remember what sport they're officiating. Keep it in your pockets, folks. Last one, Sam Darnold. More like Bam Darnold with the hit stick on Jeff Heath. RJ, did you see this? <laughs> I did. Um, it was a dark moment for Jeff Heath. Um, <laughs> Je- Jeff Heath's NFL career has been at opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Like, and, and this season is an example of that. First interception off of Patrick Mahomes, probably the league's MVP. Also got trucked by Sam Darnold. I mean, so like that's just kind of that's the Jeff Heath experience uh, in and of itself. By the way, shout out to Brian Flores wanting to scrap. Players are going to love that, and I am ter- I would be terrified. Like my, you know, like when a lion attacks somebody, people say that like your brain just dumps all these chemicals, and you're just like your vision burst into a kaleidoscope. That's what would happen to me if Brian Flores was charging across the field like he did. Players will love him for that, and I love him for it, too. Quick thing on Sam Darnold. He's going to be probably an available quarterback if the Jets end up taking Trevor Lawrence. And I I just think that he has shown enough to me to be interesting as potentially a franchise guy for somebody else. Maybe in Chicago Bears. comes to mind. Yeah. That could be the Bears. That's a take that could be all yours, Pete. Uh, and I have no problem with that. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us on Monday, Football Monday. Make sure to subscribe to the SB Nation NFL Show wherever you get your podcast to hear the smooth stylings of Michael Kiss, Pete Sweeney, RJ Ochoa, Brandon Lee, Gowton, Rob Stats, Guerrero, Kyle Posey, and much more. We will see you next Monday. We love you all. Go Cowboys.